Good morning. Ooh, we back that just a bit. All right. Good morning. There we are. Welcome to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren. It is October the 25th. I hope all of you who are at home are able to hear and see me, though I know you're about 20 seconds behind. Um, if you're not, reach out to us. Let us know. Uh, but we, we have people back there. We've tested up the system. We think we have everything running correctly now. Uh, for announcements, today we have our deacon calling. I am going to move that slightly um, up ahead of the scripture in the worship order today. Um, but we'll get to that when that comes. Uh, other announcements this coming week, I believe. I just didn't realize I didn't double check that. Um, is our council meeting here at the church on Wednesday night at 7. Am I correct on that? I heard one. Uh-huh. Okay. Not, we'll double check on that. Um, if you have need to give in your quarterly reports, please get that in by Tuesday so that Becky has a chance to do uh, get that all formatted and printed out and copied so that they're ready to go. Bible study continues um, uh, on Tuesday night. I apologize for having to cancel that this last week. Uh, as you can, might hear a little bit, my voice is back online. But it's still a little on edge, um, but we're, I'm able to talk again. Um, there was one other announcement. Oh, yes, this coming Sunday um, is also in, in those of our brothers and sisters who follow um, more traditional liturgy. Um, it's coming up to All Saints Day, and we'll have our own bit of that uh, this coming Sunday. If you have pictures or some kind of remembrance at home that you would like to bring in and put up here at our worship table, I invite you to do so. Those who have already gone to be with, with our Father in heaven, I ask you to bring in remembrances. Are there any other announcements? As we move into our time of joys and concerns, I ask especially we remember our brother Cecil and his family as they mourn the passing of our sister Doris this last week. Uh, they're for now just going to have a private service with just the family. We also keep in your hearts the young family as they've lost uh, Sister Bonnie's sister Janet this last week. Please hold them in your prayers. Are there any other joys or concerns you wish to share with the community today? Prayer for your friend Chuck, who, who's having to deal with cancer, but it's a new cancer, a different kind of cancer than he previously had. Andrew, I'd like to ask for prayer for my brother-in-law, Nathaniel, who's 
Sorry, one more time. Dushan. Prayer for Becky's brother-in-law, Dushan, who is also struggling with cancer. Or a return of cancer. I am very happy to see that the the Berthoffs are back from their long trip. I'm glad for all those who have been able to, to take time and go out and about on vacations and whatnot, but it is happy to see your masked I wish I could say smiling faces back here. Uh, prayers today for uh, Don and Mike. They are down in Louisiana, at least they were yesterday, picking up a loaded truck um, and moving their daughter-in-law back up here to Akron. I believe they're driving today. Um, so prayers for safe travels as they head back up. Their son um, is... Uh, being discharged later this year, and he will be moving up as well. If you'll join us as we prepare to meet the Lord today in word and in prayer and in music.
you'll pray with me. Holy Creator, we ask this day especially for guidance, to know where we should go, to know what choices we should make and how to come about them. We ask for you to walk with us every day and in every step. We ask for special guidance today as we prepare to call out some of our own members to serve as deacons, to help guide and support the church. We ask for guidance and support for our brothers and sisters as they go through days that look different than what they were. We especially lift up the Young family and the Van Horn family as they mourn the loss of members so important, important to them, important to us. We celebrate that they are now with you. But we can't help but feel a little more lost in this world. Walk with us. We ask for healing for Chuck and Deshaun. Is they go into a journey that they have already walked once before. We ask for healing and strength and comfort as they once again battle cancer. We thank you for safe travels of brothers and sisters as they go through this world. And we pray for safe travels of those currently out on the road. We lift all these things up to you, God, and all those things left unsaid in our heart. Amen. Today's scripture, if you wanted to follow along in your Bibles, is on 238 in the Pew Bible. It's 1 Kings 3, 7 through 15. Solomon speaking. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said, since you have asked for this and not long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerned heart so that you will never 
so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever again. Moreover, I give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Solomon awoke. He realized it had been a dream. So he returned to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant and burned sacrifices and fellowship offerings. And then he gave a feast for all in his court. Blessed is the word of God. Amen. Solomon asked for wisdom. Now, I've always had it in my mind how this plays out, is that Solomon is a fairly young man, and his father has just died. The, king, the, throne, uh, the crown has been put on his head. And then he goes and he prays to God and asks for wisdom. I feel like that's the way it runs in my head. But that's not exactly how the Bible actually puts it. If you read the first three chapters of Kings, there's a whole lot in there. I mean, David does die in the end of the first chapter. But the second chapter is full of stuff going on. There's a whole lot even going on before David has died. And this is all before we get to three, which is today's reading. Now, Solomon wasn't the oldest surviving son of King David by any stretch of the imagination. At one time, he had at least six older brothers. Two of them had died earlier in David's reign when one of them did something he shouldn't have and was killed by the other, and then that one rebelled and was later killed as well. So as David enters his final days, another one, I can practice these names forever and never remember them when I actually get here. Adonijah, now I got it. Adonijah, the third son, who's probably the eldest at this point, makes his move. He started to act as if he were king. He rode around in a chariot with armed guards around him. He began to garner support, and King David said nothing about it. Kind of one of those, if mom and dad doesn't say, I shouldn't do this, then I guess I can. So he begins to garner more support. He goes to David's commander-in-chief, a man named Joab, one of the greatest generals of David's day. And he goes to the high priest, a man named Abiathar. Both men had been with David since the very beginning, basically. They were well-respected. They were influential. And Adonijah made sacrifices and threw a banquet with them and others as guests and had them proclaim that he was the new king. Now, this didn't sit well with some people. Bathsheba, one of them. Bathsheba, you may recall, is one of the wives of David. And she goes to David and goes, Look, don't you remember when you married me, you promised that my son would be the one who sits on the throne, and that would be Solomon. And then Nathan, who's the prophet who serves under David, comes up to him and goes, did you know that Adonijah has himself proclaimed king this very hour? David finally gets off his butt and acts. 
And he has Solomon taken and anointed and crowned. That's when everything gets very bloody. At first, Solomon will go on to uh, pardon his brother. But then after David dies, he'll have him executed when Adonijah attempts to gain the throne through trickery. Joab, too, is executed. Abiathar is stripped of his title as high priest and banished to a faraway town. And one other person who up until now really hasn't had a lot to do in the last decade or so, Shimei, a vocal supporter of King Saul and a vocal opponent of King David, was put in a position where he wasn't allowed to go home unless he wanted to die. Well, Shimei finds a loophole and he's still executed. Now, if the timelines work out right, because it's always kind of hard to find the exact timelines on here, David actually lives for three years between when he anoints Solomon as the new king and when he, till he dies. So that means that Solomon actually doesn't get around to all of these executions, these finding ways to hold on to power until after his father has passed and he has ruled for three, maybe four years. It's obvious that Solomon's a shrewd man. He understands the threats to his rules and he quickly and efficiently eliminates each one, cementing his power in Israel by eliminating any of those who have any claim or the influence that might be put behind a claim. He also gets married to the daughter of the Pharaoh, forming an alliance with one of the most powerful nations in the area, not to mention their large, powerful neighbor to the south. But these are his choices. They may be the right choices for a man who's consolidating power as king, but they're not necessarily the right choices for the man who's ruling God's people. I mean, just look at it the other way around. He's committed fratricide with the death of Adonijah. Joab was killed while holding on to the horns on the side of the altar of God. A high priest, someone who has earned their place through the bloodline and the blessing of God, was stripped of power by the earthly ruler. Shemai was executed despite the fact that he didn't actually break any law. And then he married an Egyptian princess, which over and over and again in the Bible, they're told, don't do that, especially the Egyptians. We don't like the Egyptians a whole lot. Duh. <laughs> now, none of these things are actually really great notes when you put it like that next to his name. If we compare it to the dark years, because there's going to be some dark years that come after Solomon's reign, when you have all these kings who... For the most part, we're told, oh, he walked evil pathways. Solomon's really not that different, except that he worships God alone. He's really not that different. So after all that happens, all this blood is spilled, he goes to Gibeon, which is known then as being the, the most holy of high places. The tabernacle was probably set up there at the time. 
And he goes there to worship and sacrifice to God, and then he falls asleep. That's today's reading, God visiting him in a dream and offering him a gift. Why does he choose wisdom? Of all possibilities, he tells us, you know, I need it to help rule. Does he need it to help him rule because Solomon's being his usual shrewd self? He's asking for the tool that's going to give him the best possibility of doing the best possible job. Or is he asking for it because he knows he's made mistakes and he wants to try to avoid doing them going forward. So he's praying and asking God to give him the tools to not make those same mistakes. However it is, God was pleased with Solomon and gives him more beyond what he even asked for. God calls this wisdom the understanding to do what is right. Oh, Lord, we could use some of that in these days. I mean, we know so much more today than they did 3,000 years ago. I mean, just compared to 100 years ago. An average high school graduate, the amount of knowledge they're expected to accumulate when, before they get their degree is basically equivalent to a bachelor's degree 100 years ago. And we have more people with high school grads. We have more bachelors, more masters, more doctorates. And not to mention all these other different positions that need degrees and certificates and all that fun, legal, educational things. And yet, we still fumble around trying to figure out what's the right way to do something, what's right, what's wrong. Wisdom does come with knowledge, but not always. Wisdom comes with age, but not always. All we need to do is look around and see all the confusion and dismay. Too many people are simply shrewd. They're able to make the right moves to get what they want, but they lack the understanding to do what is right. We need that in our day. A clear answer that tells us exactly where we are and where we should go. Like GPS, Global Positioning Systems. Uh, so the first time I encountered GPS was on my way to Westminster, Maryland. The Church of the Brethren used to have a campus there. There's still some things there. That's where Disaster Relief, On Earth Peace, Heifer Project, Serve, and BVS all had bases of operations, basically. Disaster Relief's still there. I was going with this man named David Flummerfelt. He, he was involved with the youth of our district, not to mention he was involved with a lot of peace work, and he loved technology. He was always the first person to get his hands on some new piece of tech. It was probably about 2002, if I had to guess. Because, well, GPS only became available for the public in 2000. So I got into his car, and there's this weird little box sitting up in his window. And then it's connected to a laptop, which is plugged into the car. Because this is before TomTom. You didn't have TomToms yet. You didn't have, and that was, if you don't remember that, that was like the original GPS system you plugged into your car. No, you had to have a laptop with a special program that talked to the GPS and had maps downloaded into it. 
It was amazing. I sat there with a laptop and I watched our little arrow as it snaked down the map, up and down over mountains. I could see our elevation. It was the first time where I could really see exactly where I was on the world. I could even tell how high above sea level I was. That was so cool. Now all I have to do is pick up my phone. <laughs> it's lost a little something over the decades. Oh, Lord, we've gotten to the, almost to the point where I could say 2002 was decades. Mm. Anyway. But we didn't get quite to the problems that would eventually arise with GPS. I mean, GPS can tell you how they get from point A to point B efficiently. You may even have settings where you can say, oh, I want to avoid toll roads, or I want the most gas efficient, or the one thing I really do appreciate with GPS is telling me when there's a huge traffic jam up ahead. That one I really do love. But it doesn't give you a chance to really look at the whole map. Even today, if I have to go somewhere I've never gone before of a distance, I love to pull out a map and work my way along. Something I picked up from my dad, who literally spends hours sitting in his chair with the atlas in front of him as he slowly plots out his next pathway. GPS can't tell you the whole story. It can only tell you from point A to point B. It can't tell you whether the route you're going to be taking is especially scenic. It can't take you, tell you whether the route is very, well, nice to travel at all or not. I mean, if that was true, then no car would have been ever taken on Howe Road up until about two weeks ago. I'm glad my suspension is still in one piece. <laughs> it's quite nice now. Anyway, it also can't tell you of all those stores and shops that it shows along the side whether they're nice to even stop at. I don't know about you, but I remember knowing in my town that, you know, you went to that McDonald's because that McDonald's was always sticky and dirty. There's so much information that you can't discover just by looking at your GPS that you can only get because of your own experience, because of consulting with others. There's limitations. I mean, just look at Solomon. He had a serious limitation with his wisdom. Yes, he's given extra shares. He becomes one of the wealthiest people of his day. I've seen one estimate say that he would be worth $2 trillion in today's money, which is several hundred times richer than our current wealthiest man alive. But as he grows richer, he sees it as his accomplishment. He grows arrogant in that power, and despite the fact that it's a gift of God, his wisdom, his wealth, and his power, he begins to worship idols. Yes, he worships the idols that his wives worshipped, but I would also add on that he worships the idols of power, money, and ego, and he loses his way despite knowing better. <coughs> There's a moment in the movie Lincoln, a conversation between Lincoln and a representative named Thaddeus Stevens, who's actually a kind of personal hero of mine. He's from Lancaster, PA. I used to walk down to his gravesite. 
It was very close. Cool. He was a cool guy. Thaddeus Stevens and Abraham Lincoln were on the same side. They both wanted to ban slavery and they wanted the 13th Amendment to be passed. But Stevens was a radical abolitionist. He was one of those people that used to make those from the South really angry. He wanted complete freedom and protection and citizenship for black Americans. He wanted to take that ill-gotten wealth of slave owners and redistribute it among the slaves that would be newly freed so that they could make a life for themselves. Lincoln agreed with him overall. But while Stevens was ready to do it from day one, do it right now, Lincoln was much more willing to work with others and bring everyone with him. He knew that if he just went with Stevens, that the union would fall apart, that he wouldn't have the will of the government and the people. And so he tells Stephen, a compass. I learned when I was surveying, it'll, it'll point you to true north from where you're standing, but it's got no advice about the swamps and the deserts and chasms and you'll, that you'll encounter along the way. If in pursuit of your destination, you plunge head heedless of obstacles and achieve nothing more than to sink in a swamp, what use is there knowing true north? Solomon had the wisdom. He had the connection with God. He knew where true north was. But then he struck out alone and stopped listening and ended up finding himself sinking in a swamp of sin. How can we expect to do better? I know that I am not the wisest person alive. In fact, I'm pretty sure I am, that many of you are far wiser than I. And I don't want to speak for all of you, but my guess is, even as wise as many of you are, that there are still people out there who are wiser still. If I had to guess, the wisest of all people is probably some six, seven, eight-year-old. They have a way of cutting through adult. Yeah. I think I know Solomon's problem. He started out looking to God, using God as true north, using as God a God-positioning unit, system. He followed God where God led him, through the pathways, through the swamps and the deserts and the chasms. But then he eventually became convinced that he didn't need to look at the map anymore. Solomon did amazing things, especially if you consider the beginning. He built the temple. He made Israel a political and financial powerhouse. It reached its zenith under him, covering more territory than it would ever cover again. But Solomon was still human, prone to error like his father and prone to error like all of us. And he took his eyes off God and he veered into deep sin. Be like Solomon 
when he was young. Keep checking in with God, resetting your maps, checking your compass, know where true north is. Check your God positioning system, your GPS, and make sure you know you're following where God is leading you and not your ego. Don't just run heedlessly off towards your destination. Eventually, you'll get stuck in a swamp. Ask God. Keep praying. Solomon is not only a lesson of where prayer can get you, but a reminder of why we have to keep going back to prayer why we have to keep asking for guidance. So I implore you all, keep checking in with your GPS. Thank you. We often ask God to hold our hand while we run this race. I pray as you go out this day that you'll be able to feel where that hand is tugging you. Blessings on all of you and as you run this race. Amen. Mm -hmm.